correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome back to Me and Steve. Here tonight with my friend Steve once again. Hey, Steve. Hello, Steve. How are you? Oh, you know, doing all right. That's good. That's good. So, uh, well, we're going to record a podcast tonight, and we actually have... No? We're not? No, oh, okay. No. We'll see you then. <laughs> we don't do that around here. <laughs> okay. Well, and, and we actually have a topic that we talked about more than 10 minutes ago. Holy which... cow. <laughs> What's wrong with us today? Recording podcasts, coming up with topics. We ought to get our heads checked. Well, it ain't normal. No. Well, I, I may have hit mine today. I don't remember. But anyway. <laughs> I want to get that checked, but <laughs> all right. So anyway, before we get into all that, what's our podcast of the week this week, Steve? Well, it's this little podcast that you know it's it's a, a recent addition to the network. It's the Order sixty six podcast. Oh, no one ever listens to that show. No, no. Well, they never upload episodes. No, and then all of a sudden on Sunday, March sixth, they drop an episode called Dances with Banthas. Mm-hmm. Where they talk about the book of Boba Fett. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I'm just going to call them out because I think it's funny. I'm on their feed on FeedBurner, mm-hmm. which is where the website links you to. Right. And on FeedBurner, you can subscribe now. Are you ready with what you can scrub, subscribe now with? Sure. Podnova.com, Feedly, NetVibes, My Yahoo, and sub to me plus iTunes. I've heard of Yahoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, Podnova's still alive. Wow. I thought it was dead. I thought Podnova died at some point. But yeah, no. It's just, it's, oh, I'm but sorry, but your feed burner is old. It's funny. Oh, but it's a great show in all seriousness. Chris, it really Bill. is. Good people. Great show. All about Star Wars and the Star Wars RPG. Looks like they had Keith Kappel on when they were talking about Book of Bubba Fett as well. Yeah, doesn't say that, but it would on me. my screen. Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe your feed burner is different than my feed burner. Maybe I can't read words. Maybe that's the problem. Well, th- there's a joke I could make there, but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> In any case. So yeah, check out uh, Order 66. It's at feeds.feedburner.com slash order 66. Or, you know, we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to find it the easy way. Yeah, or you can always. just search Order 66 on whatever your current favorite podcatcher is, and you'll probably find it. Because after 138 episodes, they're probably pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I'd say so. So what is it you wanted to talk about this week, Steve? All right, look, um, I have been working on getting together a, a couple of games recently. And the major one has been a Mutant City Blues games. I, I think I've talked about that on the podcast. I don't know for sure. But I've been working on a Mutant City Blues game as per you had prompted me to. <laughs> also known as, I want to play Mutant City Blues, but I don't want to have to run it. So I talk Steve into doing it. Yeah. 
So, in doing that, I actually started doing things a little bit differently than I normally do. Normally, I run games off the seat of my pants. This time, I actually sat down and started making bullet points. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about writing out games, when to get bullet points versus full-on scripted segments versus... You know, how much to write, how little to write, what to denote, all of that fun stuff. That's, I think, a wonderful thing to talk about because that's something that I struggle with a lot, too. I mean, you and I have had countless conversations where I have innumerable campaign ideas. Yeah. And most of them never make it past about four sentences, and then I get three more, and I keep going, well, I need to go back to that and work on that and this and then. And I end up sitting here spinning around in the chair going, well, that, but that, but no, that, but that. Yeah. (laughs) Organizing your thoughts. You know, I have the bad habit like you do of like, oh, well, I want to do this. And I have this idea, but mine's a little bit different than yours because you can get three sentences out. If I don't write down what I'm, what my idea was, I will have completely forgotten it by the time I get a pencil. That's a problem. I, I, I have, I, not necessarily that fast, but a lot of times it's like, I'll go to write it down and I'll get sidetracked and then I won't end up writing it down. And then I'll go to be like, Ooh, I wanted to work on that game and I have nothing. <laughs> now, one thing I've done with myself to help combat that, that specific thing is I have a Google doc on my, well, it's on my Google drive, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But you know, you can get to it quickly from your phone. And so I will just jot down one, two sentence, quick ideas. You know, I have a doc that's just full of those. Yeah. And I started doing that with my phone too. I just have to, um, mark down for myself more than like one or two sentences Mm -hmm. because oftentimes my brain works backwards in a way. I come up with the complex part first and then the easy part second. And so I'll come up with the complication in a story and be like, ooh, that'll be fun. And then have to figure out the details around that complication. Okay. And so if I just make a note in my notes and say, Susie has to have a tooth pulled. Well, that means nothing to me later on. (laughs) And me later hates that. Because I have done that before where I'll, I'll like, yeah, I'll know what this means. And I write it down and I look at it and I go, what was I trying to say here? What, what was I trying to tell myself to write? And so what I started doing was I have to denote the game system I'm thinking about running it in. I have to denote the tone of the game I'm thinking about writing. And then I denote the complication, right? Okay. So for example... Um, not giving anything away, but I have a Monday night Genesis game. So it's dark heresy for Genesis. The tone is semi-serious. And then I won't give away the complication in case any of my players are listening. Mm -hmm. But that helps me when I'm just like, that's at the base of the game. And, and that's just starting out from there. And and we can sort of get into this because we've talked about maybe, you know, taking notes to start campaigns. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about more of in the middle towards the end, you know, 
what you do during a campaign, what notes you take, how you denote a story, and where you're going. Okay. See, if I could pause you for a second. Yeah. My struggle usually comes where I have, like, I'll get the the, the grand pitch, and then, like, I kind of have a good idea of how I want to kick it off, but that's where I get lost. How you want to kick it off? No, I like, I'll have an idea how I want to kick it off. But my, where do I go from there? And I don't know if it's because I I have a habit and well, one, I haven't just haven't gotten to run as many games recently as I'd like to, but like, it's just like, I have this, this grand idea in my head, but I don't, I don't know what step two is half the time. And that's where I break down and I'm like, well, what next? And I'm experimenting with a process for that, but we can get to that later. So let me actually maybe fill in on how I do that. My first step after writing the opening to a campaign, and it's much like, like I was always taught to write stories this way. After writing the opening to a campaign, I write the ending of a campaign or multiple endings. Actually, (laughs) I'll write about two or three different endings just so that I can pick one or pick diverting paths. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. I do this especially for D&D a lot of the time. When I'm running D&D, I know where the story wants to go, and I know where we, we began, and I know the details that are happening currently. And so I can, from all of that, get to a point where I can start putting A and B together, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big things that does actually help me is having that definitive ending. I know, assuming everything goes well with the Mutant City Blues game that you're playing in, how I want that to end. And what the ending of the, like, the ending of the arc is, plus the actual ending of the campaign. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right. So you, you typically have a plan or several planned destinations. Right. The everything in the middle is the question mark for me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm changing with how I'm doing the Mutant City Blues game is that I'm actually plotting out not specific locations, not specific time frames, but bullet points that happen in the middle for where that story goes. Mm -hmm. And that's what's sort of brought along this conversation of session writing, prep writing and campaign writing, which are three different things. True. Right. So your campaign writing, in my opinion, your campaign writing is you're writing out your beginning, your ending, and any major set piece points you want them to see. Right. Mm-hmm. So, for example, say I'm running a D&D game. My beginning may be everyone meets at a bar. Not a tavern. No, it's a right. bar, not a it's tavern. A, it's a bar. There's, there's a difference. Taverns have the implication of rooms. Bars don't. (laughs) (laughs) You got to figure your own way out from a bar. But everybody meets at a bar. Then there's no more real details there, right? The setup is, is, you know, everybody meets at a bar and the barkeep is like, hey, I got a dragon problem. Can you take care of that for me? And set up this world where dragons are sort of like rats, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the opening and the world setting. And then I have an ending where come to find out the dragons have their own society and you were actually the bad guys all along because you were out 
ruining dragon society, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the ending. And then I'll have middle points of like fight with this thing or set piece at like castle, like set piece with King, like, you know, just very vague, but sort of kind of specific things mm-hmm. that I want to happen in the middle, but I don't have an exact time frame on when those happen. They just are there. Mm-hmm. And that's my campaign prep. The other thing I'll do is I'll write a, I'll write a blurb or at least what I call a blurb. I'll write a one sentence pitch, a one paragraph pitch and a two paragraph pitch. My one sentence pitch is what I'm putting up everywhere. I'm looking for players. I'm going, Hey, I'm looking to run D and D five E here's the pitch. And the pitch is, you know, you're a, a group of adventurers hired to deal with dragons in a world where dragons are treated like rats. Right. It's a very simple one sentence pitch. You sort of get the idea. Mm-hmm. My one paragraph pitch gets into a little bit more of, you know, maybe the setting, maybe a little bit of world stuff and just talking about how the world operates politically, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. to try and betray or trying to portray the tone that I want to get across. Right. So if I want to be a little bit more political of a game, I'll put a bunch of politics in there in our mutant city blues game. It's sort of, and that's kind of how the game is. It's sort of a mix between CSI and superheroes. So I put that in there, right? Mm -hmm. In our, in our one paragraph pitch. And if somebody's still on the fence after the one paragraph pitch, it's when I send them two paragraphs, which gets into a lot more of the details of the world. So when we're talking about, you know, Oh, well, you know, the King's name is the queen's name is, the city's names are, you know, like this is when I'm getting into the the basically the nitty gritty of here, you know, the maps laid out like this and and the more detailed things that you wouldn't go into in a in a paragraph. Right. right? From there, if they're still not, this isn't the game for you because uh, <laughs> you can't give away everything. You know what I mean? Right. And if you're running, and and this is sort of a change in my mindset, I've stopped running really long form campaigns. So if you're running a long form campaign, maybe you do have the the headspace or the ability to write more than a than a two paragraph pitch. But for me, the games that I want to run recently have been somewhere between four to six to eight sessions. Mm-hmm. Assuming you're playing weekly, you're talking about a month, two months, something along those lines, and so. I don't do a lot of that prep because I don't need to. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, there's not as much to do because you've got a fairly narrow scope. Right. And that's my campaign prep. Once that's done, I can start working on, you know, then we can get into session prep. And session prep is a completely different beast. But do you have any thoughts on campaign prep? Or what do you do, to like, you know, other than wing it? Do you do anything for your, like... Uh, like... Okay, to go back to the the Cyberpunk 2020 game that blew apart with COVID. Mm-hmm. Originally, what my plan was, was we did the opening, and then I anticipated you guys wanting to get revenge. Hmm. <laughs> which, of course, didn't happen. Right. Now, here here's the thing, right? We always say, you know, no plan survives pers- first contact with the players. Fair. I didn't anticipate you guys doing any specific thing for revenge, but I figured, you know, especially where with at least one player, the the initial opening thing 
took your job, etc. I figured it would be fairly easy to, you know, like I wouldn't have to poke things too much to get, well, we're going to get these people that did this to us. Yeah. Well, that didn't really happen. <laughs> well, I want to comment on that, but I'll let you finish your thought. So, but I had stuff lined up. Like there was a, a, a little bit of a chain of this person, you know, you find out about this thing that leads to this thing that leads to this thing more in vague terms than anything else. But like I said, it, it didn't work out. And then, you know, we had a lot of fun with the game. And then actually I had, after we had been on hiatus for a while, because we were, had been playing in person and then COVID and everything, I had an idea for a way to kind of wrap it up really tight. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be, and I'll, I'll let you know this because it keyed around your character. I was going to have it be that Dubs's neighbor just had it in for him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which would have been kind of a fun, tight wrap to it to just finish it up and say, Hey, we put a bow on it. Right. And I think everyone would have enjoyed that ending. Yeah. <laughs> so let me comment on a little bit of expecting your players to want to get revenge. I think the thing with that is, and, and this is the thing you always have to sort of plan around you need to make sure that if your players choose not to get revenge, right? Like, and, and you learned this sort of the, the hard way, but none of us really were like, oh, let's get revenge. We were all just sort of relieved that we were out of the murder mall. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so you sort of have to plan around that. If that's the case, then what needed to really happen, in my opinion, is we should have been drugged back into the murder mall. Mm-hmm. And it should have been a case where, you know, you didn't want to get revenge the first time, but now you've been drugged in there 15, 16 times. Like, <laughs> we've done Murder Mall like five or six times now. Let's, we got to get, this has got to stop. I'm not going to keep, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I was, I was trying to pull you guys back in a little bit with the scene with the, the pirate radio interview. Yeah. And, but I think that was like maybe the last session before everything. Yeah. But what I'm what I'm more driving at though is that like if you want your players to get revenge, you either need to do something incredibly heinous to them or you need to do something annoying. <laughs> and this is this is just a fact and I say something incredibly heinous and I don't mean like horrible horrible, you know, crossing a line things. I mean like maybe you maybe you make a player at the table make another character, right? Like you've killed him off or maybe you've severely maimed one of the players right like something that that is gonna cause them to be like oh hell no no i'm not dealing with that anymore you know what i mean mm -hmm. but the the push i think that that you sort of needed to do was at a certain point early on we needed to just all go back to murder mall like you know we're yeah we're all sitting somewhere we all get drugged we all wake up back in murder mall now we got to do murder mall again and then when we get out of Murder Mall, you know, assuming they get out of Murder Mall that second time, you do it again. You do it again. And and about the about the time that the third time's coming to an end, they're gonna be like, and this sucks. I hate doing this. I we gotta figure out what's going on, why we keep getting drugged back into Murder Mall. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I think another another I'm gonna call it mistake on my part that I made was I I don't think I was not upfront about this. I think I was upfront and said, you know, I was, 
hoping for kind of a sandboxy type game. Right. Here is the mistake that I learned the hard way in that regard. A sandbox does not mean wait for the players to do something and react to it. I think the misconception with a sandbox is that that's exactly what it is. And it's not. No. I think anyway, and this is just my take on it, that a sandbox for the GM, well, maybe once you have it going, it's fairly low prep reactionary. At the outset, a sandbox requires a whole lot more work from the GM because you have to have all these moving parts in place and keep them moving. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have these things happening whether or not the players do anything and to have that happening, you have to know what they are. Right. And I made the mistake of not doing that. Yeah. And, and I, I, I've, I did that too. I've done that a lot. The thing you have to keep in mind with your sandbox. And I realized this at some point myself as well, is that the thing you have to keep in mind with your sandbox is that it is a living world and the world keeps moving, even though your players aren't doing what you want them to do. So your plan A needs to continue on to what would be the presumptive bad end of plan A, right? If your players up and walk away from, say they get, say back to D&D, because it's just an easy way for me to demonstrate this. Mm -hmm. Say your players get conscripted or can uh, get hired to kill another dragon, right? This dragon has been terrorizing towns and all this stuff. And your players just go, no, I don't want that job. And they walk away. You need to keep in mind that on your map somewhere, there's a town that needs to be now wiped off of the map. And you just go, if they ever go to go to that town, you say, oh, well, you arrive at a town and it's a burnt husk of what it should be. Mm-hmm. And they go, well, why? And you go, well, you know, you you find a couple survivors and they're going on and on about this blue dragon that flew through and absolutely destroyed their t- their town. And then they realize, oh, we didn't take that job. And because we didn't take that job, this town's been destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so that's that's one of those you got to keep like it's not keeping necessarily everything moving at the same time. You can omit a lot of the details. You just have to sort of with a reasonable amount of time, jump to the bad ending conclusion of the thing that you were that you were planning as your plan A. Mm-hmm. And in cyberpunk, you know, whatever the bad ending of, you know, there's like, there are good endings in cyberpunk. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Everybody makes it out alive and you have a little bit of money to get through the next day. That's a good ending in cyberpunk. A bad ending is everybody's dead. And the only person that's left is your net runner. And he's like emotionally scarred at this point. Right. (laughs) And so you sort of have to let the story, you know, if if it's revolving around a mob boss that's working for a corp, well then, you know, the corporation now has this mob boss that got exactly what he wanted. He got a bunch of money. He now controls this section of town. When they go to that section of town, they're like, man, why is this so mob run? Well, because you didn't do anything about him in the, in the first place. Mm-hmm. And that's how I deal with, I not so much, just going, oh, well, you know, I got to keep this moving. I just go ahead and say, well, you abandoned this. So I'm jumping that to the bad ending on that. And you can do your own thing over there. That's fine. But as soon as you wander into this part of town, you know, 
because in cyberpunk especially it's not hard to get players to wander to a portion of town mm-hmm. or or an area so as soon as they wander into that area you go okay well this is what you find yeah and, and it hits them you know it, it sometimes it doesn't sometimes they'll miss the sometimes they'll miss the context there but you'll know that the reason this area of town is bad is because you know they failed to do the thing mm-hmm. and you don't need to beat them over the head with it even if they are missing it it's okay to let them miss stuff but you do need to get it across that the world has consequences yeah and i think that's i think sometimes sometimes in in rpgs we forget that the world has consequences right mm-hmm. we forget that if if you know when i let this prisoner go what are they going to do well they're they're just going to sort of exist as an npc in this area no they're not right Right, yeah, they should have goals, motivations, etc. And you don't have to, you don't have to, in my opinion, as long as, as I know I've said in my opinion like 16 times, but it's, it's the whole show. This whole show is my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, episode title, Steve's Opinion. Yeah. If you, if you think about it, you don't actually have to sit down and write out those goals or motivations for that character. Some, some player or some DMS do, and that's great. I'm glad, you know, that some people take the initiative to sit down and write that out. I don't have the energy to, I know what the players need to know. And I know how a person would react normally. Right. Mm -hmm. I've consumed enough media in my life or, and been around people enough in my life to know that, this type of person is going to live this type of life. It could be very cliched. You don't need to make notes of that unless it's incredibly, incredibly relevant to your players. And that sort of gets me into from that. And, and that big long tangent gets me into talking about my session prep. Okay. okay? And how I'm changing my session prep because before my session prep was maybe pick a couple villains, you know, make some bad guys and, sit down figure out what the players want to do and and riff off of them right mm-hmm. how i'm changing session prep is that i am actually sitting down and making out specific points that i want my players to see mm-hmm. and and actually sitting down and making out specific things that i want you to not necessarily do but to experience in the world right mm-hmm. so this could be anything from this is where you get into your specifics, where I was talking about earlier about, you know, making your big set pieces. Maybe you have one big set piece a session, but you're making little, little specific set set pieces each session, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to the markets, so you need to make a set piece and, and figure out what the markets look like. Figure out what, you know, are there people yelling or is it when you walk down the street, people run and hide? Are there vendors on the streets? What kind of carts do they have? You know, it's it's the questions you have to ask yourself that are like, how do I make this world field lived in? And it's important to make the world field lived in. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, it distances your players. They they then become more, they, they, they tend to doze off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe combat. Well, what's the reason for this combat? Well, we wandered into a spider den. Oh, well, you're in a spider's nest. All right, cool. That's a good reason for combat. But uh, why did you wander into the spider's nest? Well, we were exploring a dungeon. Well, why were you exploring the dungeon? Well, we were trying to find the magic MacGuffin at the end of it. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. That explains why you're here. 
that explains how you ended up here. And that explains that, you know, now you're in the spider's den. So the spider is not necessarily just trying to murder you. The spider's trying to eat, right? Right. So that's when you get into that question of, does combat have to end with a with a death? Does that spider maybe not run away? Mm-hmm. Right? Like that spider might not fight to the death over that. That might he might go, you're too much to handle and just leave. Mm-hmm. You have to ask the question, you know, especially in combats. And I think it's important to ask the question in combat: Do things have to die in this combat? Mm-hmm. And the thing of it is, is that I've heard some people be like oh, well, but if things don't die, it sort of takes away from it a little bit. And I can understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, if things don't die in combat, they could come back later. Mm -hmm. That spider might not be a problem now, but he sees you later on in the dungeon and is like, man, they came in, they wrecked my home, they tried to kill me once, I might just go ahead and try and take them out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you gotta... Oh, sorry. Let me first off. I want to put a pin in your your point plotting thing you were talking about a couple minutes ago. Okay. But to go off the tangent we're currently on. Yeah. This is. <laughs> you can name that. You can name the episode that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about your your creatures and their motivations, and this for whatever reason brings to mind to me the movie Anaconda. Yes. And okay. it. <laughs> Look, the only reason the anaconda was attacking them was because John Voight was on that ship or was on that boat. But it look, it, it was kind of a fun movie to watch the first time. Mm-hmm. And then you start asking questions, and it becomes less fun. It's but once and 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 What's maybe this is Owen my Wilson's fault. Nose or <laughs> <laughs> and maybe this is just my fault for having watched way too many nature documentaries, both <laughs> when I was a kid as an and as an adult. But anacondas. Mm-hmm. And I believe most snakes, actually not all animals, but many animals are ambush predators and they're mm-hmm. hunting for food. Mm-hmm. That snake was not hungry. Mm-mm. It was following them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't following them because it was hungry. Like, you know, a wolf or a lion or whatever might stalk an animal because it's hungry. No, it was. It was it's not chasing them up a river into some old abandoned factory, it's, up the damn yeah. chimney. No, <laughs> and like at some point, I'm going. The premise behind this movie is absurd. Right, but okay. So change the snake out for change the snake out for like a like a character from um, Apocalypse Now. Right. Okay. Switch the snake out for for a for a human character, hunting them down, taking them out one by one, you know, that makes leading sense. them to a location. It makes sense. So if you find yourself in that situation where you're like, oh well, if you find yourself in a situation where you're thinking about an animal character, and you're going, man, I I it doesn't make any sense for this character to be or for this this monster to be chasing them down. Give it a little bit more intelligence. Yeah, make it an uplifted whatever the heck it is. Right. You know, in, in the case of Anaconda, make that snake talk. That movie <laughs> becomes, well, it, it becomes a lot goofier, but at the same time, it sort of explains character motivation, right? Right. At that point, now you're explaining away. You're not going, oh, well, this is just a big, giant Anaconda. No. Now you're explaining that this thing is, like, 
chasing them down because it doesn't want its home messed with anymore because a bunch of people had been through like you know john voight once before (laughs) Mm -hmm. and now you're explaining away why it's chasing them down why that's the question you gotta ask yourself that sometimes especially in animal encounters we don't ask you know why it's there most of the time but you don't know why it's attacking the party and that's what I was getting out of, like, you're in a dungeon, it's its cave, you know, it's its home, it's looking to trap food, right? Mm-hmm. That's the why. That's the why that you got to ask. And I think, unless you have more to say on that. Well, I was going to say, to kind of counterpoint the stupidly large animal monster movie type thing to mm-hmm. that, I'm going to go to another movie that I think is, what do you want to say, equally as hokey and ridiculous. But, but does it better? doesn't come across that way. You mean, and that's Lake Placid. Oh, I was gonna say Kong Skull Island, but yeah, I haven't seen that. Oh but, man, yeah, Lake Placid. That the original it, Lake Placid. The, the original Lake subsequent Placid, yeah. sequels get progressively worse and worse and worse. Well, but the original is just great. Tremors. Okay, yeah, it's been a long time, but yeah, you know, it's the same kind of idea. You know, it's it's a monster. It hates. You know, you're me- like the premise of Tremors is that the reason it's mad is because they're messing with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Graboids are upset because there's, I think that movie, if I'm remembering right, it's been a while since I've seen Tremors, but if I'm remembering right, the point of Tremors is the reason the Graboids upset is because of like natural gas drilling, basically, like mm-hmm. <laughs> or oil drilling. I can't remember which. It was the late 80s, so probably oil probably drilling. Probably oil, yeah. But you have human type characters messing with this this animal character's home and that's why it's upset that's the point of lake placid too is it's upset because people are invading its its space not even that really it's just food yeah it doesn't ever maliciously really attack anybody until they're taunting it well at which point you're taunting it i mean what more is there to say yeah but that's my point though is that like if you're gonna do if you're gonna do a motivation of more than just food, you need to be like you're disturbing this thing's location, right? Mm-hmm. Like a spider, I use the ter- I use the the idea of a spider, but a spider will only a spider will only deal with so much before it lashes out, right? Mm-hmm. Like it'll only back up so far. That's most animals. Like it, you talk about like cornered dogs and stuff, you know. Most animals will only go back so far before they're like, nope, I'm done. I'm not backing up anymore. You can back up, right? Mm-hmm. And no matter how big the prey is, they'll they'll bite back. And that's the question you have to ask yourself is, why is this thing fighting back? And, you know, sometimes it's make it more complex. Sometimes it's make it less complex. So non-human, non-human enemies are... are Something that mm, you got to be sort of, you got to have your wits about you with them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're, they're very easy to, it's very easy to do non-human enemies wrong. Yeah. Well, I think like you said, you know, and especially with non-human enemies, you know, most, as we're talking about animals, they have a certain threshold at which they're going to nope out. Most right. cases, unless, you know, there are certain cases where, yes, they might, you know, 
fight well, to the death defending their young or something, but you got to give it a reason to. Exactly. Like if if you're gonna if you're gonna do that and you're in a spider's you know you're in a spider's den and it's gonna fight to its death. Once it's dead, you need to go find a bunch of of spider eggs, right? Mm-hmm. And that sets up for a whole new like. Now the players are like, oh man, we got to kill these spider eggs so we don't have a bunch more spiders. You know, that sets up for a whole thing. Yeah, and then, so they set fire to the spider eggs, and then now the cave that on sets fire. off something else. And right now, yeah. you've created a, a chain an avalanche chain reaction. Right off of what they did, right. where the spider was really just there, but now they did this and they did this. So you know, make I guess I don't know. We're getting into different territory, but you know, make what they do mean something. Well, and, and that's, you can, in this, to bring it back around in your notes, you can make plans that they would kill that spider. If they don't, you ditch those plans and think logically about how that would end. If that's the case, if they don't kill the spider, right? If they have to come back to that cave, there's now a trillion spiders. (laughs) (laughs) Like there are just now spiders everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's all because they didn't deal with that and that's that's the thing that's what i was trying to drive at is that you need to ask yourself logically when our players walk out of this scene what happens next Mm -hmm. and you don't have to do it constantly but if it's an undesired outcome on your end if your players do something that you don't want them to do you then have to sort of go through those hoops and be like Okay, so this scene ended because the players just sort of noped away from the spider, which means the next time they're in this cave, there's going to be a million spiders. And now you have to come up with a reason. And I always come up with a reason to bring them back to the cave, (laughs) right? They forgot something down there or somebody went down there and the players are going to be like, oh, well, we were already down there, so it'll be easy. You know what I mean? Yep. They're, you know. Hey, I know you guys were there already, um, and you kind of know the layout of it. My son was playing around in the caves, and he hasn't been back in a couple of days. Can you go look for him and see if maybe he got lost? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll go get him. And they get down there, and there are spiders everywhere. Mm-hmm. But that's the things is that like that's what I mean when you're when you're doing your session prep or to take what you said and, and spin it a different direction. Let's say they kill the spider. You could still do the same thing, but now since the spider isn't there, what moved in? Well, or maybe nothing moved in. Maybe it is empty. Yeah. Maybe it's a big empty cave. And now that's a like, you know, maybe you go and, and this is sort of my thinking. They kill the spider and they burn. They kill the spider and they burn out the eggs, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we don't come back to that cave like ever. We just, Walk away. It's an empty cave now, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's where, you know, maybe that's where our big climactic battle happens at the end, right? Like you said, something moved in. Well, yeah, somebody found a big empty cave and was like, well, this could be a really nice place to set up camp. You know, mm-hmm. the lich that you've been chasing this whole time is like, oh, look at this. It's got a whole bunch of rooms. I can put zombies here and maybe hang some dead bodies over there. And you know what I mean? Like, and, and so that's another thing is that you have to think about your locations as living as well. Yeah. To circle back around to the point that I wanted to put a pin in about you talking about you plotting out more kind of steps. I wanted to ask if that is specifically something 
that you picked up, because I haven't read that far into Mutant City Blues yet, but I know that some gumshoe games specifically, you know, they, they outline a process for the GM to develop clue sets leading up to the thing. And now Gumshoe is a very purpose-written game specifically for investigation. So, you know, that's kind of part and parcel of the whole concept there. But I didn't know if that was something that was that was brought out there and you were kind of stretching it to other things or if that was just something you kind of wandered into. Nope. That was something I wandered into. Okay. It was more to organize my thoughts because I tend to like anybody that listens to this is shocked by this statement, but I tend to meander. <laughs> and if I don't start organizing my thoughts, then I'm going to be, we're, we're going to have these sessions where yeah, the players had a great time because I sat and improvised the whole time, but we got nothing done. Like the story progressed in no meaningful way. And don't get me wrong. I can make a story progress by improvisation. I've run full campaigns. I'll just say it out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I Like full on just pulling it out of nowhere. And I've run campaigns for people where they're like, did you just like run that out of nothing? I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of did. But sometimes you want to tell more concise stories, right? Mm hmm. Sometimes you want to tell a story that's not necessarily just that, but more of a, again, the beginning, middle and end story. If it's a long running campaign where you're, you're going to be playing for the next three years, you can get away with running things like by the seat of your pants, right? Mm -hmm. Or even if it's a, you know, couple month long campaign, you can get away with running the th things by the seat of your pants. When you start getting into the shorter stuff, the stuff where you're like, no, I want to be done by like, I want to be done by next month. That's when, that's when I start plotting out and going, okay, so I have a definitive end point and I need to actually sit down and make bullet points. And that's the difference between the difference between session prep, campaign prep and the grander prep, right? So campaign prep, you have your big points. Session prep, you have specifically what's happening in that session. But you should also have notes on, you know, your campaign prep maybe doesn't have it laid out session by session, right? Right. But you can use where your last session ended to show where your next session should pick up and where they're going. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Am I, yeah. Am I? Okay. Yeah. I'm just making sure I'm not, I'm not I crazy. Understand. What I'm driving at is that maybe you don't lay out exactly session by session by session by session, but when your week one sessions over week two sessions, starting in a, you know, a couple days from now, sit down and go through everything that happened in week one. And what are the ramifications that are going to carry over into week two? Have mm -hmm. the players completely abandoned their starting area. If that's the case, Okay, then that starting area, what storylines did they abandon there? All right, cool. Either end those out or figure out a way to tie those in soon, right? Mm -hmm. Make a list of stuff that, you know, if you had a very big productive session, make a list of stuff that the players completed and didn't complete, right? Mm -hmm. So that you can sit and grab for the next session, right? Mm -hmm. 
And I find that works really well because the more sessions you play, the bigger that pool of stuff is and the more it feels the world is more connected. Mm -hmm. And so you're pulling little stuff from here and there. You're pulling little stuff from session one into session two. You're pulling little stuff from session two into session four, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're also pulling in and carrying through your main storyline. Yeah. And so it, it gives the little complexity on top of the main complexity and, and adds just that, just that fun. Yeah. Well, like you said that, yeah, tying that all back in. And the other thing that that does is, especially if, if you feed off of something that players did, that callback makes them feel important. Right. Yeah. It makes them feel like they accomplished something. Mm hmm. And making your players feel like they accomplished something's really good. Yeah. It's what keeps players playing in a lot of times. I think sometimes, sometimes the people that are very combat focused tend to forget that those of us who aren't necessarily combat focused need a reward aside from just here's more combat. Right. Right. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that to put anybody down. If you enjoy, if your reward in combat is that you successfully completed the combat, now you get to level up and all these things, fine. That's good. I'm glad you enjoy, you know, I'm glad that's, that's how you can enjoy the game and enjoy the story. I'm not telling anybody that if you enjoy a game or if you enjoy playing a game a particular way that you're wrong in doing it. I'm saying that there are other players that maybe don't enjoy playing the game that way. Right. And so they're maybe looking for, you know, story progression or I, if I'm playing a very social character, I don't want my, my social characters are not going to be too interested in, in combat. Right. But he is interested in the political intrigue that's happening back in town. Maybe we could do something with that. Right. And learning to read your players is important as a GM, you know, yeah, it's great to ask straight up, Hey, what do you guys want to do? But learning to understand and, and listen to when your players react to something and hearing what they're saying, they will, that will help. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you notice that Bob, Joe and Harry all reacted really well when I introduced the new big bad guy. And the reason they did was because, you know, when the big bad guy showed up, he kicked a puppy. Oh, they don't like when, you know, they don't like this, that, or the other. They don't like the fact that he kicked a puppy, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody likes that, but they role played off of it or they reacted in a way that was like something that you would like to see your players do. So now you go, oh, well, I can, I know that they have interest in, taking care of this guy because they know he's a bad guy right mm -hmm. so now i can dig the i can dig the knife in a little bit and twist it a little bit embellish some of his features and and get them very much intrigued into taking this guy down and that gets them involved in the story and figuring out how because the the thing of it is and this is the thing that i i sometimes forget myself there are legitimate questions that we have to ask when we're doing session prep where, what, when, why, and how. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I know we've talked about where being a fluid thing, but in my opinion, if your players are in a town, that's where, right? Or if you really want them to go somewhere else and they're like, you're not playing a, a complete sandbox campaign, that's how you can get them to do the where, right? 
Maybe mm-hmm. they have an informant that's like, hey, I need you to go to downtown and check out this thing. They're going to go there because as long as they have a good reputation with that informant, they're going to go there and do that because they have nothing really better to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And making sure that their needs as far as having better things to do or met mm-hmm. before they go there is kind of important as well. Mm hmm. Because if one of your players is saying, oh, man, I really need ammo. Oh, man, I really need a new gun. Oh, man, I really need some better body armor. What they're telling you, what they're saying out loud is not, oh, I need to spend some time between sessions and get a better gun and spend some time between sessions and get some better body armor. What they're telling you is they want to go shopping. (laughs) You know, they want to find Crazy Bob's Weapons Emporium. Right. And so maybe you have an NPC show up and go, hey, uh, you guys want to take me down to the strip district? I need to go get some stuff and then we can go from there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go. And so now you go down, you find Crazy Bob's Weapon Emporium. Oh, look, hey, there's, you know, a bunch of signs and that's the one you point out. And now that player is like, oh, I'm going to go in there and see if I can buy a gun. Deal. And then when you leave Crazy Bob's, maybe that informant that had to go get go get their stuff is like, all right, I got my stuff. Let's go. Or maybe they got kidnapped while shopping. Or maybe there's some reason to push them in the direction that you want them to go. Yeah. And doing that in games that not necessarily railroaded games, but games where it's not a full sandbox is one of the useful things of games that are not a full sandbox. Yeah. And and that's your where, right? Your what is should be like depending should be kind of self-evident right what they're doing is furthering the story in some way or another and so your what is like you know whatever your story is going to be i i can't i can't think of any what's right now but it's the it's a pretty simple idea right it's the thing that happened right what happened when they got there and when doesn't matter or it does In stories with a ticking time bomb, when does matter? In stories that don't have a ticking time bomb, when is whenever? Yeah, well, I think that's, and and like uh, Justin Eacock was saying when we talked with him about pacing, though, sometimes you can use the when something happens to, to move things along. But like you said, sometimes that's not the case either. Sometimes you need it to happen when they get there, regardless of when that is. Right. I think the question of when... Like Justin was saying, if you have a time, like if you have a physical time constraint, when is when you're finding it appropriate? So that's a question that's asked both in game and out of game, right? We have a physical time constraint. We only have two hours for this session. This when thing needs to happen this session so I can set up next session because we're three sessions from the end, right? Mm -hmm. So the when is this session but the when in this session depends on the where in this session sort of unless your when can coexist without the where right which i think ties back into what we were talking about you know being willing to move the goalposts etc in that if you have it all scripted out too much you have to get them to walk down this very narrow little path and that doesn't happen very often right unless and again, unless your players are not necessarily playing in a sandbox, True. It's like Mutant City Blues, you're all playing police. 
your where is going to be dictated by where dispatch is sending you. Right. Your when doesn't matter so much because dispatch called you up. You're on a, you're on a crime scene. They said, Hey, we need you to leave that crime scene and go to another active investigation halfway across town. Well, you're going to leave that crime scene and go because you're being told to. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you're not doing your, your, you have to be very careful because you don't want to do that to, to irritate your players, but you do want to do that when you have legitimate want to move the players to a location, especially if they have a handler or they're working for an agency or the greater good, right? Mm -hmm. If they have a boss and are not just mercenaries, having somebody get a hold of them and go, we need you to go here now because of X is justified. And as long as you can justify it, the players aren't going to fight with you, right? True. If something isn't right, if, say, you're a group of mercenaries and you're working for this one corporation and we're, you know, I know I've jumped all over the place. We've gone from D&D to Mutant City Blues, but let's go out in space, right? Because I've been watching Firefly. You've been watching Firefly. You're, you're a couple of, of, of mercenaries. You're out in space, but you've got a handler. And the handler calls you up and goes, hey, I know you were on a mission for me, but dump that mission. We got to get you to go to another mission. If you don't do it very, very carefully, those players are going to ask, start asking questions. And then you have a different problem on your hands of, OK, now they're not listening to their handler. So what does that mean? What are the repercussions? How do you react to that? Right. Because if you don't have repercussions for not listening to your handler, then there was no point for the handler in the first place. True. But again, so that that was all to get to moving your players. So the the when, the what, the where, the why we've sort of covered Mm -hmm. and the how the how is always the question of how did this happen? How did we get, you know, if if your players moved there organically, how did we get here? The how is a hard question to ask sometimes, but being able to answer how is going to make your game a million times better. Mm -hmm. And the how is, if you think about the how, the how is where you've been, right? The how is every session behind us so far. How did we get here? Well, Mm -hmm. we were over there in the strip district, but now we got a phone call or now our guy was kidnapped and we chased the van to here. Right. And so that's how we got here. How do we deal with the situation? That's the questions you need to ask. And every time you have a session, like I said, you make that bullet point list and you steal all those little bullet points and you fill them in with the where, what, when, why, and how. Mm -hmm. And that fills out a whole session. Look, bam, session prepped. (laughs) Like, you know, maybe you need to make some bad guys. Bad guys are easy to make. Yeah. And you can reuse them most of the time and no one notices. Yeah, nobody notices. Put different clothes on them, give them a different name. If they even have one, no one notices. Swap two of their stats and nobody says anything. (laughs) So. Can I share with you this this little method that I've been kind of experimenting with as far as getting bullet points? Because sometimes that's tricky for me. Sure. So I just got this idea, and don't ask me why, but it came to me that, like, I, not always, but I listen to quite a bit of music. And mm-hmm. because of, you know, the era I grew up, whatever, I, in the past, have very much tended to listen to stuff in album format. 
be it CDs, cassettes, whatever. So the idea came to me that, well, what if to try and write out a campaign or an adventure, I take an album and I then, you know, take my story beats or my cues for what those beats might be from that album, be it directly from lyrics or even if it's just the, what do you want to say, the images that are invoked, Mm -hmm. listening to the music, whatever. And I've actually found that it at least helps me kind of organize and narrow my thoughts, you know, just go through and, and what I'm working on right now, you know, I, I took and I went online and I found basically the lyric sheets for this whole album. And so I put them in a Google doc and then I went down and in a different color text, I just wrote in little lines of, you know, different themes or different things. It made me think of while I'm still thinking about kind of my overarching pitch for my campaign. And so, like I said, for me, that's been a very good kind of catalyst for things just to help me get more framework to build off of. And I don't know if anyone else wants to try that. I've, I've talked with a few people who've said they have tried that and it's worked well for them. And just cause I'm weird, I like to mismatch the genre of game with the style of music that doesn't particularly apply to that, but that's just me. Yeah, I, I can understand that for me personally. It's a lot of reading the room and I only take notes of like I take notes of stuff that the players were intrigued in or if it was a carryover from the last session Mm -hmm. so the players were like actively invested in investigating the kidnapping of this guy they were hanging out with okay cool Mm -hmm. then that's that's a bullet point you know what I mean Yep. and usually that's an overarching story bullet point but if it's something little that's not an overarching story bullet point you know they're really invested in that chair in the dungeon maybe somebody brings up the chair from the dungeon. It's like, Hey, did you see that weird chair? Well, now they're going (laughs) off on an adventure to figure out what's up with the weird chair. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's silly, but it's true. You know, like it's, it's for me, it's a lot of reading the players and then figuring out if anything that, you know, if stuff was a carryover from the last session, or if it's just something new that they've latched onto some little obsession they have, right. Character flaws and ticks. I, I make his bullet points, right? Mm-hmm. If I notice a character's doing, like if I notice a player is running their character and doing a specific thing, sometimes I'll ask and go, hey, is that a, you know, I noticed that you're you're playing this this particular way. Is that a, is that a character thing? Or are you, you know, is there something that I'm missing? Or are you having a hard time with a mechanic? And if they're like, no, that's a character thing. I'll be like, oh, could you, you know, could you tell me a little bit more about the background on that? And I'll use that to sort of, add to and get players involved right mm-hmm. you know if, if it's a specific tick right like in our wednesday night game my guy doesn't use guns right well that mm-hmm. tells you you know hey why doesn't he use gun why don't you use guns it's it's stuff like that and that's yeah. that's how i come up with my bullet points like i said it's usually usually if it's a carryover or if it's um just that i noticed that the players are invested and and your first session, you're going to have a bunch. You're just going to have to guess and make up a bunch of bullet points. And if they latch to anything, great. If they don't latch to anything, well, then you got to do a little bit of improvising. Improvising, and then once you've improvised a thing that they latch onto, okay, cool. Now you're going with that. That's your main bullet point for the next session, and you know, figure out what they've done. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I'm at. I, I I know where you're coming from with the like, you know track listings and lyrics and stuff like that 
I, I just think for me, that's not how my brain really works. No, I'm just throwing it out there as, is something for people to try really. No, I, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I'm just, I'm putting my way out as well. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Oh yeah. But yeah, eventually you'll just reach the end. And when you, when you reach the end of your campaign, end it and move on. Played in, in too many campaigns that come to a, a natural conclusion. And after that natural conclusion, everybody sits around and goes, all right, well, what's next? Okay, cool. You want to do a what's next? That's fine. But if we come to a natural conclusion and everybody's like, all right, well, uh, you know, that was cool arc. Maybe don't, you know, unless everybody's super committed to that, maybe don't play that story anymore, right? Give it a little break. It's the end of that story. Maybe those characters need, you know, the Briarwood arc ends with a critical role. Like, we need a little break, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We can go back. That's not a problem. If you want to go back, that's fine. But end at a certain point. Just just go, this is the end. Make sure that it's a satisfying ending. And say, hey, maybe we can go back to this if we want. Or maybe we don't. But this is the end. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm at. I, I'm very much about... I've gotten to this point in, in, in my gaming career where I'm like, yeah, no, I just, just end your sessions and your stories and your campaigns that you don't need to have a never ending campaign. Yeah. At the same point, if that's what you really want, your table wants, then go for it. Yeah. If your table's really like, oh, I want a never ending campaign. Well, then you need to change. In my opinion, you need to change the, the length of time at which you're writing your your session, like your campaigns for, right? This is sort of something I drove at at the beginning. When I know that I'm ending a campaign in four sessions, I'm writing with that in the back of my mind at all times, right? Mm -hmm. I'm literally, session one ends, I'm counting, I'm going, all right, I got three sessions left. We're here, I need to get there. We got three sessions to do it. So what happens next? How do I drive the story farther? Because at the end of the day, as a GM, you are the driving force behind the story. The players are behind the wheel, but you're Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, they're they're like, I'm gonna drive the car. Well, you are the car. <laughs> you 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 dictate how they get there, where they get to, and what they see when they get there, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at a session that it, if you're looking at a game that's indefinite, maybe work in arcs. Because I know that I've done that in the past where it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna work. You know, we're going to, I'm going to denote this as a Bob's a monk arc. I don't know, you know, like, and, and that's the arc for this round. And, and we're going to move from there. We'll go to the next thing. Maybe I'll have a, a big bad for, for me to move into. But for me personally, when I'm doing games, I have an ending. I, I, I'm not at this point in my life anymore where I want to play the never ending story. Mm-hmm. No, and I, yeah. I, I'm with you for the most part because there's just more things I want to explore. Well, I'm not faulting anyone who wants to, but I'm just saying that for me right now, I'm just like, no, I don't need to play. Like, uh, I, I don't need to play the never ending story. And there's stuff that, yeah, like Genesis. I love Genesis. I'll play Genesis forever, but I don't need to play the same Genesis campaign forever. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't need to play the same thing for the rest of my life. That's just all there is to it. And, and if you want to play that, that's fine. Go for it. I'm not faulting anybody. If you like that, cool. Hey, I'm glad you're enjoying it. But yeah, like I said, for me personally, nah, get to an ending. Find an ending in an arc. 
that would be great. You know, if you're if you're like, oh well, you know, I, you know, I don't really know what I how I want to end. No, you could get to an ending of an arc, right? Mm-hmm. That's just that's just a personal opinion. Yeah. Hey. So all that being said, <laughs> yeah, we got a little winded on this one, huh? Yeah, we did. Huh? So how about then maybe? Do you think it's time to uh, to maybe talk about some of those other things to go play? Sure, let's get into Game of the Week. Woohoo! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! I don't have a game right now, just so well, you get to go first. I have one that I stumbled across, and it's, here's, here's the thing about this game. This is a very light, compact game. PDF is only 28 pages, and the price, at least on drive-thru, is only $4. The <laughs> game called King of Dust. What it is, it's a rules light D6 RPG, and it combined, it says, with, with simple resource management. And it's it's a cyberpunk game, but it's a little bit different than the usual cyberpunk game where you're playing the cyberpunks. In this game, it's got two phases. You play, in the first phase, as the board of directors of a cyberpunk megacorp. And you spend your time organizing actions, resources, maybe in corporate negotiations. Okay. So yeah, first, first phase you play the bosses and you figure out how much resource you're putting to different tasks. In the second phase, you play as basically an operations team, vat grown soldiers purchased by the corporation for use on some particularly dangerous mission. So it's kind of like a split level. You play both in the boardroom and in the black van, which I think it's kind of neat. Yeah, that sounds cool. Like I said, that's called King of Dust. All right. Just check one thing here. Yeah. No, I'll go with that one. All right. I have a game. I have a game. I picked one. I figured it okay. out. It's a, it's, it's a, I mean, I've heard of this game for a while now. It's a game called Murder Most Foul. F-O-U-L. And it's... One sentence pitch is an infinitely replayable murder mystery dinner party game RPG slash LARP. Together, you and your friends will commit and solve a murder mystery. One of you will be the detective, one of you will be the victim, and the rest are suspects. During the game, one of you will commit the murder. Uh, no two games ever the same, and every game is a real mystery. And it it looks like, like I said, it's it's a, a murder mystery dinner party and... You know, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, just, just you know, silly, fun murder mystery. Yeah, I could I could get behind a game like that. That's a lot of times when I run Call of Cthulhu one shots, that's a lot of what those are. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of murder mystery dinner party games. But having a dedicated having a dedicated murder mystery dinner party that is just goofy and silly and fun. Yeah, I'm down for that. So again, that is Murder Most Foul, F-O-U-L. All right. With all of that being said, we want to thank you all for listening. As always, links to everything are in the show notes. Uh, Discord, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. uh, Patreon. Patreon. Yeah, the Patreon is up. Like, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Yeah, throw us throw us some uh throw us some stars. That'd be nice. Yeah. We do have the two Patreon tiers. $2 US gets you um 
get you some cool stuff on the discord in your own you know patreon discord channel five bucks gets you access to ask questions to our guests early and also um everything everything from the two dollar tier access to ask our questions to the guests and bonus content when it happens yep so definitely some you can click on the link to the patreon and go check that out a lot of good stuff there yep as always we want to thank you all for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some rpgs yep take care y'all Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Like, I know, assuming everything goes well with the Mutant City Blues game, how I want... Tripping on my tongue. All right. Well, and, that's a, oh, yeah. And. No, I was going to say. There's no and? There's no and. Okay. Yeah. With all of that being said, as I knock my mic all over the place, sorry, auto, audio listeners. Man, we went long winded on that one. Yes, we did. <laughs>